you're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Episode 1, Eric Paul. Hello and welcome to the first edition of And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast. I suppose since it's the first edition, I'm best off giving some background as to why this podcast has been made. Since I was young enough to understand alternative music, alternative film, or just alternative art, I've always seemed to gravitate towards it. I, and I suppose a lot of my close friends, have always been almost held captive by the stories of how the people we look up to came to be where they are, or came to be the person that they become. However, not all of these stories have been told, and less and less so in the modern world. With get famous fast type celebrities seemingly the order of the day, the soul and the passions being torn out of the music scene, and all of the above, and I think perhaps more than I'm actually comfortable with. So the podcast is to keep alive those stories, that passion, and to make sure that the stuff that strays from the mainstream is never really thrown onto the scrap heap fully. In terms of the word alternative, my first guest really embodies that. He's the lead frontman of bands Arab on Radar, Chinese Stars, and most recently, Doomsday Student. He's a noise rock icon in his own right since the early 90s. Eric Paul's also a renowned writer with work published on the ever-popular Heartworm Press label. Often misunderstood for his lyrics in the early days, but always an exciting performer, always an exciting wordsmith. Myself and Eric, we do cover his childhood, his early influences, his love for the absurd, where it came from, living in New York during 9-11, and of course the dark undertones of where Eric was born, uh, Rhode Island, Providence. Eric is a friend, but he's also a constant sort of inspiration and someone I can always rely on if I'm lacking direction in my own work. I'm sure I'm not the only one to call Eric an icon, so it was a complete pleasure to have what ended up being a two and a half hour conversation and catch up, most of which has gone into this podcast. The podcast, just to let you know, does have some technical issues and at points there is some sort of frustrating echoes, shall we say, that I fail to fully edit out despite my best attempts. But I have managed to fix that for coming episodes, which are already recorded, so just to let you know if you can forgive me for this one, it's definitely worth it, because it's a great interview from Eric. It's a great interview from Eric, and it's a real insight into his life, past and present. And it's something that I really hope that you enjoy. As a fan of Eric, I fully enjoyed it. As a friend of Eric, I enjoyed it just as much. But I hope you find exactly the same level of enjoyment in the whole interview as I did too. I'm going to play that conversation directly afterwards, but first and foremost, I really wanted to play a song called Angry Christmas from Doomsday Students' latest album, just to give you a real insight into what Eric does create and how good it actually is. And then, of course, you can listen to the man himself um, and truly, truly enjoy it.
How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing well. Good, good. Um, so Eric, yeah, like I, I kind of, we've had a bit of a chat beforehand surrounding obviously what we're going to be asking today. And I think I'd just like to fire straight on. It's really good to get a chat though. And thanks first and foremost for being the first guest. It's obviously a big deal for me because as you know, I'm, I'm heavily inspired by pretty much everything you've done. So you oh, know, thank you. It's, you know, that, that's fine. You, you know that, you know, and I'm, <laughs> sure I'm not the only one. Um, you know, growing up, obviously, everyone has sort of a story, I think. Uh, yes. Every, everyone has a reason why they are where they are at a certain time in their life, I guess. Um, but it always starts off from a really young age. Um, growing up in Rhode Island, yeah. obviously, what was your first introduction towards music or, or just the, the introduction of the world you, you now find yourself in? Like, what did you listen to? That kind of stuff. Okay. Um, well, the first, my, my mother was very into classic rock. And she would listen to albums all the time, like um, Alice Cooper, Sabbath. Uh, Led Zeppelin, yeah. uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. And um, I'll never forget the thir- first thing I ever owned was a Kiss A track. I think it was Love Gun. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I ended up, um, you know, playing it so much that my mother ended up buying me headphones and, and making me listen to it that way because I think it was starting <laughs> to go crazy. But but I think that was like one of the first records that I got into. And I, you know, I think it was because of her. She was really into that music. She had actually seen most of those bands um, live. And looking back, at it, looking back at it now, I think it's pretty amazing that she was able to see those bands. I would give anything to have seen them there, you know, in their prime. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the first introduction. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I was in the fifth grade. And in elementary school, the music teacher came in and it was like trying to get the students to join the band or take music classes. And he did a demonstration. He did the trumpet, uh, you know, the saxophone. And then he then he got to the drums and I was floored when he started banging on the drums. And I went home and I asked my mother if I could be a drummer. (laughs) Yeah. So she bought me a snare drum and I lugged this thing back and forth to the elementary school uh, for a couple years. And then um, around junior high, she bought me a drum set. Yeah. So I was a drummer. I, I played drums until I was like a senior in high school. Oh. Junior in high school, yeah. And then um, Craig and I became friends in high school around that time. And then we kind of got the itch to start a band. And we started uh, a pretty bad band <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we all did, was, don't worry. <laughs> oh my god it was it was, it was quite was it uh it was it was silly it was called other voices <laughs> that's right that's not a bad name there's, there's some bad <laughs> names you can have which i will mention from other people that may or may not be myself but that's all right other voices is okay yeah um i was obsessed with the cure well i guess i yeah. still kind of am oddly yeah. enough people don't uh ever assume i'm uh or would imagine how much I like the cure, but I, they're the early work, you know, I, yeah. I love so much still. And it's sort of the, my, the band I go to when I look, seek for, seek comfort. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we named it after that. Uh, we had a guitar player, um, and a bass player and Craig played the drums cause he was way 
better of a drummer and I was getting interested in maybe trying to write lyrics. I was, you know, I discovered Nick Cave and um, I read King Inc. when I was a junior in high school and and sort of thought, man, I, I want to write lyrics and sing in a band. And yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of where it started. And then, um, you know, and then actually the next band I was in was Arab on Radar. So. That was yeah. it. I, yeah. I was yeah. Say, that must have been quite early because Arabian Radar started when I was like eight. Yeah, I was nineteen, or <laughs> twenty, 19, nineteen or twenty. Yeah. 94. Is it was it ninety four? Yeah. Well, so what happened was we we actually, I mean, to get technical, yeah, we were a different band. We had a we were um, called Umbrella. So it was the core of the band, but we had um, um, like a like a fill-in drummer, and then when we got kind of a more serious drummer, we changed the name. But I think we were we actually recorded a couple things under the name Umbrella, and um, I think that was around ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Full> time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I was eight, so that that tells you a lot. Like, and you were 19, so, but... Tells me I look good for 30. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I need my hair cut, but no one, can, hopefully anyone listening to this can't see that, so I'm okay, I'm all right. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned um, Nick Cave. Um, yeah. Now, I think there's always somebody who grabs you by the balls with the lyrics and yeah. it takes you in a direction you either go down the pop route of catchy choruses that you like, or you go down <laughs> the dark route. It would be yeah. fair to say you might have gone down the dark route. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> would you say that yeah. Nick Cave or was the guy that took you there, or could you reel off like 10, 11? Um, well, well, I think it's even a little further back. So around that time, um, I was in high school, like a junior in high school, a sophomore in high school. I actually uh, started working at a nursing home, and at the nursing home, I worked with this guy named John Ryan, and his brother, uh, whose name was Jeremiah, yeah. or Jay, as everyone called him, was in um, Six Finger Satellite, and I believe they were still – he was still in college, but – that was kind of so I, you know, I, I, Rhode Island too, right? Yeah, yeah, they were, Rhode Island too. Yeah, yeah. Yep, they were in Providence, and so I, it's kind of a long, diluted story. But essentially, I went to re- see Six Finger Satellite re- religiously, and also befriended um, the singer. And the singer turned me on to a lot of different stuff um, oh. that I became really, really into. And it was a lot of stuff that was influencing uh, Six Finger Satellite. Yeah. So I, I guess the first thing was Nick Cave, but I've never really had a low voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I heard Pill, I migrated more towards Pill yeah. than P.I.L. or whoever Public Image Limited. I migrated my, much towards that aesthetic than um, Nick Cave because I've never been able to sing like that. So I was kind of like it was kind of like that, and but I think Jay, I, I really do think Jay, Jay Ryan was probably one of the most. And even though he was a friend, he was also a musician, and they're probably still one of my favorite bands ever. I still listen to their records regularly, and they are pretty much responsible for a lot of the uh, inspiration for a lot of the music we've done. Yeah, I, I was 
thinking about when you mentioned high pitch there. I was just thinking about the chorus <laughs> and my mind as a muffler, and I'm thinking you really do hit the high notes. <laughs> you really like yeah. in, in an odd way, but you hit them. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very, yeah. very well hit. Um, yeah, I, I've always been the opposite. Now, but... <laughs> I, I, I wish I could hit a high note, but I just can't. Like I, I sing like I speak, which is. <laughs> probably why i didn't get very far in the singing game but um and then i mean this is probably a from a personal perspective i guess but again sure. be, there's going to be so many people interested to hear the same thing but i, okay. I think as we know like we we got to know each other from me discovering your poetry first which is probably yes. the opposite way around to how most yes. people find out you know your work your bands is normally the first and the writing comes second i guess yeah um but i think it was always sort of the writing and 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 the content that it came from the kind of i've heard it called absurd before but like you know absurd can uh, you can put a lot of the the world's absurd at the moment but most people would say you know (laughs) oh it's not it's this but you know lyrically i don't find it absurd but it definitely has a a content to it that you wouldn't find elsewhere it's not mainstream um yes was that like a personal experience thing or and when did you start developing that style for yourself to the point where you felt comfortable with it yeah well i i think i mean i think again a little bit uh it's very influenced by the lyrics uh that jay used to write and i know they you know, it's a it's a little bit of a leap between his lyrics and my poetry, but I think what it was is there is a certain aesthetic to it or a certain tone, yeah, um, yeah. and a certain kind of uh, attitude to it. Yeah. And I think it sort of started there with the lyrics, but then what I sort of did was um, most just about all like 90, 95% of my work all deals with you know a mental illness that I've been struggling with. Um, well, not struggling with, but living with, yeah. um, since I was diagnosed as a teenager. And what I realized is I was somehow born with this way of coping it, coping with it, with humor. And I think some, yeah. So I, I think there's something about humor becomes more funny, the more surreal it gets oh, or the yeah, more, definitely. Yeah, yeah, the more absurdist. So I think there's definitely some sort of, it's more of like visceral, a visceral decision or unconscious. But when I'm writing and I'm making the decisions about what to keep and what to get rid of or where to start, you know, and where to end, it usually ends with how it feels and it's usually yeah. how well how best it communicates what i'm trying to communicate and it's usually through this surrealism or this absurdism you know and it just somehow is the only sort of voice that i've found that best communicates the feelings inside you know where i know that sounds silly but that's the only correlation be- between the two ideas um because i've i found that it's it's just an easy way for me to do it. Um, I know that there are other writers that that have dealt with um, or have you know had a similar path as me, and they yeah. seem to really deal with what they deal with in a very eloquent way, in a very um, in a very very sophisticated language. And I've never yeah. quite had the tools for that, so I just kind of feel that the conceptual stuff is more me and I do the best with the language. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, and I think, yeah. I think people really buy into that. That that's what really caught, you know, myself originally yeah. from reading it. It was, 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I felt very similar. Like you, you see a lot of uh, poets from you know in, in Scotland, and it's got a good scene here. But a lot oh. of people are incredibly yeah, it, and we've got some incredibly talented people that I'm sure will go on and, and do fantastically well. But mm-hmm. I could never quite buy into the way they do it because it was full of language and it was taught, and I kind of stumbled onto it. Yeah, and kind of just had ideas in my head that I wanted to put out, and I think that's where your stuff grabbed me really i mean the first thing i ever read was i offered myself as the sea and it's funny you should relate it back to to humor yeah because as you know i've i've once or twice i've, I've covered it if i'm doing like an open mic and yeah yeah that's so flattering <laughs> oh it's 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 admittedly my favorite poem I ever wrote and i think you know <laughs> when i kind of mash this all together we i've ever heard sorry not not wrote i wish um but I think when I mash this all together, it, I, I will probably put it on because I think it, it's so short, but it's got such bite behind it. But yeah. <laughs> kind of, to relate back to the point, it's like you say about humor. When you read it, 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 it people give you such a... The, the look that they give is kind of like, can I laugh? Yeah. Like, am I <laughs> able to laugh? like as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really good. Like... um it is funny. I mean, it, it is. I mean, that poem in particular, I can tell you a little bit backstory about it. Is I'd be very, so that, very intrigued to hear about the story behind this. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, so for me, um, that poem works on uh, a lot of different levels, or it, yeah. or it, it addresses something on, on multiple levels. So, what when if someone was to ask me what I think that poem is about? I think I would say it's about giving yourself to some, giving yourself to somebody. Um, without limits yeah and, and and I think it's more about just like just loving someone in the way that I love my wife and it was a start it's inspired a little bit about this really funny story that she was telling and um how she would actually do this like go and yeah. you know piss in the ocean and think it was really funny but then it could have sort of sparked an idea in my head about how obviously, I'm not asking my wife to piss on me all the time, but <laughs> yeah, but like there's something about that kind of selflessness that it would yeah. take to do something like that. And then on an even deeper level, um, when I was growing up, uh, my father, who was one of the reasons that uh, you know I have the illness that I have, was very abusive. He used to piss on me as a way of punishing me. So okay. he would he would uh, you know just make me get on the ground and he, and he would do it. And I don't know if he got off on it sexually. There's a chance he did, but he would always say like, you've been bad or you've done this and whatever. So, you know, that was one of the things that I've taught about, talked about a lot in my work is like yeah. urine and piss and stuff. And it's not that I'm just like some childish idiot that's obsessed with that. It's that I no, still cope, I cope with that. And that it's yeah. a tough, tough thing to just resolve in yourself. And so when it, it comes up across that way, it, it does come across in it. I, I, yeah. I, I never, I've never read it as, and, and it, I suppose now you mention it, it, it could be quite easy to pick that up as yeah. those subject as childish. But when, when you hear it, yeah. there's almost a, I don't know if the way that you read it or, or I read it personally or, or other people uh-huh. may, but I think people read it and they can kind of feel what's behind it. And I think that's what makes it so interesting. Which, yeah. You know, it, it kind of sounds like I'm, you know, I'm blowing smoke up your ass here, but it, it's true. It, it, it's you read it and you, and you, you do see 
kind of the power behind it. You don't quite know the story, but you know it's not that fucking black and white. Like it is. No, it is. Pulls you in. The 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 face of it is black and white, but and that brings me to I suppose your from for example that poem. Yep. Yep. Is about love effectively, and I think yeah anyone with half a brain can can read into that. Um, I would hope, but at the same time, it's it's an incredibly dark way of showing love but at the same time (laughs) it's kind of beautiful in its own way and and you mentioned about Nick Cave before and I've always felt and I'm not a huge Nick Cave fan Uh I've got onto him recently I wouldn't say I'm not I just to say to say I know anything about him massively like to to an extent would be a lie and I I don't want to lie about that but from what I've heard thus far the few albums I've gone through there's, there's a dark romanticism about that as well do you think that had an effect on you in that sense um, well, first, I know I'm going to sound like a little bit of a, a music snob here when I say this, and I don't mean to say this, um, but what? I actually <laughs> never really liked Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or Nick Cave solo work. Yeah. And it's not that I don't respect it. I actually have the utmost respect for it, but yeah. I have always been obsessed with the birthday party. And that is just the band. That was his first band. Yep. And I still am, the, to me, top five favorite bands of all time. So I definitely think when it, even there are lyrics um, uh, in, in, in the birthday party as well that have this sort of angry love theme. And I feel like, yeah, perhaps somewhere I, I picked that up and ran with it. Yeah. Or, or yeah, like a dark love. But um, it would probably, yeah, be like songs like She's Hit or um, uh, just this, you know, he's always singing to this sort of woman that is like this mysterious woman, like it's a wild world and she's a wild girl and all that stuff. And like, it just seems like he's so like tortured in that way. And I, I definitely think that that it's that it's quite beautiful. I mean, I don't think I've ever written too much stuff where I feel as though I'm being tortured by a woman, but definitely yeah. um obsessed or preoccupied with a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it, it's it's interesting that the the way you put it across though, like there's there's a lot of ways you can express love or affection for yeah. a woman or a person or or, yeah. or whatever it may be and yeah. I think what really grabs people is is the way it's done and if it's done well and yeah, I, yeah. I would say you do it really fucking well um yeah. i try <laughs> yeah yeah regarding um I, I read a story today about this you know the sea monster story yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the one i printed in the observer yeah yeah that's the guy <laughs> yeah um and i yeah. I, I don't know a great deal about America. I'm I'm, I'm relatively okay traveled, like at Europe. Okay. Wise, but I've only been to Florida, which is like a, a sauna where you have to drive everywhere. There's <laughs> it's a very it. strange part of America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, it, it's not a place I would go back. But I, I guess I enjoyed it, and I've been in New York, which is well. That's that's very America. Yeah. Yeah. But. Rhode Island, I don't know so much about it. <laughs> I read this article and I was like, shit, there's been an influence there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, like growing up in Rhode Island, what, what, what part of the city or, or the state, sorry, kind of 
affected you on, on a personal level was there anything with that or was it just yeah i think the art the art in the writing i do i mean i like to think it's very rhode island it's very specific to this this state and i think there are a lot of bands in that come out of this state and a lot of artists that ha- have a thread that attaches all of them it's a light thread but it it definitely there is a little bit of this state in all of them and i have struggled a really long time to understand what it is and i try to articulate it um and i i can't i mean i think that's why i wrote that article is because i've gotten that question so many times about you know because when we came out we came out with bands like landed and lightning bolt and, you know, and a lot of bands were making a, a, no, a noise that were coming out of Rhode Island. So people would be like, what is going on there? They always joke like what's in the water. Or like, why is everything so crazy there? And I, I don't really know. And that, and that sort of article was like tongue in cheek and sort of humorous because it was like, yeah, it's because of people like this, you know, it, it was yeah. sort of a joke, but there's definitely something to, the the atmosphere here i mean i i don't know what it is i don't know if you know i'd like to say it's the really intense weather but a lot of other people uh sorry a lot of other states have intense weather yeah but there's something about the economy of it perhaps i I don't i don't really know it's like it's just not as i don't know it's just somehow like the crazy cousin of boston and new york city i don't quite know how to explain it but there's so many stuff you know you you mentioned weather weather affects stuff it's why all the bands (laughs) from britain sound so fucking depressed like yeah um and and probably you know probably are um but yeah it does um you you take take another state that you know i can't comment too much i haven't been much but you look at florida and everything's sunny and happy there as far as i'm aware um so you know maybe the weather does affect it but reading through the article was a really good (laughs) insight from someone who doesn't know the the state at all yeah or the city at all and i thought i know he's been asked that but if i don't ask ask it it all the time and and, and i feel (laughs) like i i wish i had a better answer but so that's what the joke was about the article i was like watch this video because i feel like like those people are they were like family members they they weren't specifically family members but yeah they like I said it in the article that could have been my uncle and my aunt like that. It's just a type of and I don't know. It's just it's an it's a really angry place, but also it's really funny at the same time. And yeah, and and the city itself is filled with you know amazing people that come in uh, going to RISD or Brown, and then there are people that live outside of the city that just have their own sort of energy to them and it, I, I don't quite understand because my wife's not from here either and she's always pretty uh, uh, taken aback by how uniquely how unique Rhode Island is <laughs> I just can't figure it out it's something about it and I just it, it's why I love it so much and it, it just feels so fucking crazy and so right and I, I feel like I'm probably going to die here because I just you know when I travel I always want to come back home and I want to feel Rhode Island in me <laughs> yeah have, yeah. have you ever left for a like sustained period of time? Like, I mean, as in like like living away away from tour? Uh, I did a little bit. I um I was seeing a girl um and I lived in, in pretty much lived in New York City for about two years. Okay. And um 
but I would be home here. I'd be home a lot for rehearsals and, you know, it, it didn't feel like I fully lived there, but I spent most of my time there for a couple of years. Um, and then our relationship sort of started to, uh, unravel a little bit and right in the moment or the, right in the moment where I was deciding that it wasn't sort of working, um, nine 11 happened. Oh. <laughs> and so I was in New York, uh, during that and that kind of ended up just being the end. And then when I was able to leave the city, I kind of, cause I was, you know, everyone was trapped there for weeks. Um, and the sh- city was shut down. Um, so when I was able to kind of leave, I ended up leaving her and then leaving the city and just going back to the safety of Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that is a pretty big moment to make you think maybe it isn't that safe here. Yeah. <laughs> Things aren't working out. Maybe I should leave. Yeah. So you yeah, lived in was... New York during 9-11? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, shit. it was. It was, it was, I mean, it was, it was terrible. It really was. There's no way. I mean, I was, I, I was in Gramercy Park, um, which was a little bit away from, from where it happened, yeah. but you know, she got me out of bed. Um, I was sleeping in the first plane. She was watching television. She said, Holy, you know, this is crazy. This just happened. And then we kind of, I threw my clothes on and then we kind of just went outside like impulsively, like to see what, you know, what was going on. So we were standing on the street and then we watched the second plane hit from, um, it was like East 21st and second half or third half. And I was just standing there and I watched the plane hit. And that's when I knew, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a wasn't a mistake. Um, and then, you know, obviously the day of was very chaotic and then you couldn't leave the block where you were. So we'd have to kind of, You'd have to show ID to get back onto your street. It was really on uh, a lockdown. But then as the the city sort of let you kind of like, you know, as the military and police sort of let you start walking around the city, I just remembered, you know, going back in and, and people coming up to me with photographs and just asking me if I'd seen their loved one. Just hysterical because so many people were missing. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you could smell bodies, essentially in the in the air like the smell of the buildings and i mean there was just a cloud over the city and then she lived across or her apartment was across from one of the largest precincts and police precincts so we didn't see the workers like go in and go back and go in and and it really was just something else i mean it was really i mean i didn't lose anyone luckily and i can't even imagine how painful it must be but it was really quite something that i that stayed with me for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, people outside of the country, let alone people who were there. You know, I was. I I think I would have been around maybe eleven. Uh huh. Yeah. Twelve, maybe. I can't quite remember. But I just remember coming in from school and and like my my grandma, my nana was like, "There's something happened," and it was just like as a kid, you just couldn't you you couldn't process it. You, yeah. Because yeah, it was like, the first time that sort of thing, it, it, it came to me. And I think my whole generation is kind of similar to that. We remember yeah. going home and being like, fuck, that yeah. doesn't usually happen. And nope. <laughs> it, it's weird how that's kind of affected everything moving forward. Yeah. Like, like literally yeah. everything. Like that's, that, yeah. that is, it, it's, well, I suppose it's not weird, but it, that's changed America's whole yeah. history. You know, yeah, forward. it really did. I mean, stopped it in its tracks. Everyone reassessed everything, and 
obviously security is different here and yeah. a lot of you know our our freedoms are less than they were once and yeah. and uh globally i think everyone looks very differently at terrorism and i think yeah. they they i think there was a point where people saw it as um you know very limited sort of strikes or you know I mean, I don't really have the words to explain it, but I think I don't think they saw it as big of an issue as they did until that happened, and then I think it became real very quickly. Yeah. But that was very, and then also traveling after that with the with the band name Arab on Radar was quite difficult. Oh God, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Where did, Where did the name come from? Actually, just totally off topic. Um, you know, I mean, basically how I remember it is. And I think those guys may have other recollections of it, but uh, a lot of it was, I think it was brought up in a conversation when we were talking about, um, because it was around the time of the Gulf War, and we were talking a little, you know, the book 1984? Yeah. And they were saying, now we're at war with Eurasia, now we're at East Asia or whatever the other... um, you could tell that I have this retained from high school, but anyway, it was more about like how propaganda can then sort of shift and then focus on a new group of or demographic of people. And it was around the beginning of the first Gulf, uh, the Gulf war first time we, you know, went in there heavily to invade um, the middle East. And suddenly there was this anti Arab sentiment around America and somehow it came up there, you know, now, now Arabs are on the radar or something like that. Oh. And it was much like when, you know, when during the world war two, they had the, um, they imprisoned Japanese citizens yeah. here in America, the, you know, the, the, the camps. So somehow it came like kind of came up and then we kind of like, that has kind of an interesting tone to it. And then also at the time I was really obsessed with the stranger by Albert Camus. Okay. And, uh, and the word Arab in that book to me was just very powerful. And um, it's just kind of a few different things. And then it kind of got added to a list essentially of, of different names. And then we liked the way it looked. We liked that it had similar letters and it was almost a palindrome and it, it just sounded really solid. And I think we ended up voting on that and a couple names and it just stuck, but it was never like a, a name that we decided like, this is the political statement we were going to make, or this is yeah. the, you know, it, it kind of just sort of came a little bit organically, and then it just ended up sounding really neat. Um, but then we ended up, after all of that stuff, we ended up being, and still do, be accused of being racist because of the name. And it really wasn't our intention at all. No. Our, yeah, it wasn't, you know. I never thought of that. Yeah, oh, myself, yeah. Was, even in it, today's day and age. Yeah, no, people still. Unfortunately, um, but. Yeah, there's the even this even last week there's this fake um, Twitter account of Donald Trump doing record reviews. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but he record he he, re, he reviewed one of our records in sort of like the the diction of or syntax that Donald Trump uses on Twitter, and he was saying like we were a great band because the the name was so like angry or something to that effect. So he was even well this fake Twitter whatever was saying like yes they should be on our radar or something to that effect 
you know, and that was, and it was really sad because it was never our intention to, to do that, No, you know, but it just happened. And, you know, it, it, it was really quite an unfortunate circumstance. It's weird how, how some people's mind works that yes. those, those words can be looked at as, as racist, like, yeah. like, like you almost yeah. have to pick a side. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. like some people just don't think about yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm guessing, and I I hope and would imagine you you're not one of those people that thinks about the word Arab being ever construed as, as something racist or or something the way it, it could be. It's obviously been picked up by some people incorrectly, but people are people, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think there are certain people that have a sensitivity to them. Yeah, and I think their intentions are good. I mean, I don't. I've never really felt that somebody who is looking out for injustice has bad intentions no but i think there has to be a level-headedness about um some of the way they think that escapes them (laughs) sometimes yeah and then also the same for somebody or some people on the right where they 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 take things in for and you know to fit their own narrative to yeah fit their own view and you know it is it's just it is you're right man it's people (laughs) yeah do, do, you ever, do you ever feel like you know people who, uh, the, 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 especially I, I don't know if you noticed it, but I notice it a lot with with my generation. Sometimes you have, you know, people who are, like you say, they they, do, they mean well, they they mean yeah. that they're, they're, they're against racism, you know, whatever yes. it may be, and and so they should be, but sometimes the the circle of people they're in is so insular that they don't really come across real racism like actual racism yeah, yeah. um yeah, I or, agree. Or real sexism yeah i think it becomes more of like a concept and they see it yeah, from a distance and they and they sense the injustice in it yeah and they sense that you know this is something that should not exist and they get really worked up about it and angry about it which which they should yeah but i feel like sometimes when you have been exposed to that or you really lived that stuff you almost tend to have less of an extreme view on it for some yeah. reason. It seems like you have a more realistic view of it. And I think another thing that bothers me quite a bit too about a lot of a lot of people like um, where they have these beliefs and these you know um, platforms, but then and they preach to to sort of seemingly want to change people, but then once people have changed or once people have sort of evolved beyond that, they don't give them that forgiveness that they almost seem as though they were seeking in the first place. Yeah. You know, like I, I went through it with my lyrics for a, for a long period of time where there was a, you know, there was a reason that, that I wrote the way I wrote. Um, I was dealing with all of the, this, you know, the, the incest and the sexual abuse and the physical abuse and all that stuff. And that was my way of exploring it. But and I felt really like disgusting inside and I kind of wanted my words to be disgusting because when I was performing them live, it all just felt disgusting, if that makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah. And at the time I was so um, I was so trapped in my own world, in my own world of trying to rise above what I was what I was going through that I didn't see beyond the immediate you know, I didn't think, I, to be honest, I didn't even think that we would be a band that anyone would ever fucking hear about. Never mind 
become what it became. And then, you know, so I think that, you know, as I grew older, there was a point where I, I recognized how easily they could have been misconstrued and how I don't blame people for misconstruing them. When at the time I was writing them, I, I was very like, why are people thinking this about me? You know, but now it's very clear to me. And then what I've done since is I've made amends. I've answered questions in interviews. Um, I've talked greatly about how I have so many unresolved feelings about it and how I still feel very guilty about promoting a worldview that I didn't believe in, you know? Yeah. I'm not trying to justify or make excuses for it. All I'm saying is that I am not that person anymore, and my art would never be that way again. Yeah. Uh, but I think that sometimes I wished, like, I could be an example of somebody that recognizes what they were doing wrong and then has sort of evolved beyond that. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that I think a lot of people should, should, um, you know sort of take i don't know what i'm trying to say but like sort of acknowledge you know like we always attack somebody for saying some fucked up like this gop congressman said this fucked up thing or like this guy did this fucked up thing or she did this fucked up thing and then we we sort of like it's like a minute long it's like a news story or it's or it's you know we hate them but then we just kind of leave them after and we don't like sort of see it to the point that they grow from it and become better human beings. And I think why are you spending all of your energy trying to change people and change the way they look at things if you're not going to allow them the courtesy when they do change, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So sorry for that long rambling, but... No, no, I I, I, I really... I I totally get where you're coming from 100%. And I think, you know, just from talking online for like what the past year or so I've always been quite interested in your opinions from from that perspective of stuff as well as much as it's quite self-indulgent for myself to ask you about your work Uh that I like I think I think finding out a person's opinions on on you know political things and and things and and general people kind of almost answers the questions you want to ask about what they produce as artwork and I think that very much does with, with with your with yourself as well i think because artwork is effectively a release I think. yeah it was yeah it is yeah it was really a release then i mean now it's it's more of something i just thoroughly enjoy and i enjoy the creative process so much and i have the impulse to create but then there was a desperation to the creation of those lyrics and that music it just was it bordered on unhealthy, and um, I didn't know any differently. That just who I was every day when I woke up, you know. And even this, and even this is early, even this week, I was a- attacked um, in uh, social media again about my lyrics. And um, interestingly enough, <laughs> a link was shared when I was being attacked for my lyrics, where which directed people to an interview that I did, where I literally say the reasons for the lyrics and that I've, I've owned them and I accepted them. And I'm just asking to be given some sort of, or, you know, some forgiveness in saying, I am aware of it. I'm not that person. I never did any of those things. I never wanted to do any of those things or I never, you know, I didn't, my personal life was never any of those things. It was my art, you know, fortunately 
you know, there was no line or there can, there can be no line anymore between art and, you know, real life because so many people know about your real life now that they didn't in 1996. Um, and, and it was really sad that I felt like, why is this person attacking me? I've spent 10 years talking about, yeah, I, I've accepted that. I've owned that. <laughs> I yeah. clearly have explained it many, 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 many times over. And my artwork since has never um, ever reflected those sort of dangerous, um, you know, d dangerous themes or whatever. And even in the attack, the person, author of the attack, even said that my lyrics in the last two bands were not like that. And I think to me that should prove I've grown, not that I'm trying to hide anything. I'm just, why? what, what would I want to be doing? Like keep keep doing them <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. And, I, and i don't think and i mean I, I i suppose not everyone has the luxury of uh, discussing life with you i guess which you know I, i'm we don't talk every day but we we've talked long enough to, to have an understanding of each other i suppose yeah and yes. i think the one thing that you could always pick up from yourself is you're quite sincere and i think when you speak and i think the the amount of, of media that's out there and interviews you can read into yeah. should showcase that even to people who maybe don't. But yeah. again, it goes back to the people are people. And I think sometimes yeah, people want to be outraged by stuff and don't want to, yeah. they want to change you. But as you said, they don't want to see the change. Yeah. That's a perfect way to say it. They want to change you, but they do not want to see the change or acknowledge it when a change has occurred. Cause it doesn't and fit there. Yeah. It doesn't fit there. Um, it, What's the word? I can't think of the word for it. It doesn't fit yeah, there. Those or something or the, yeah. Yeah, but it, it doesn't fit the, the the bubble of the what they they have you in, and and it's hard yeah. for them to pop that yeah. bubble and, and take you out of it and, and class you as something different because they have yeah. made their opinion. And I think what that demonstrates is that their outrage is more about them than the yeah. issue. Yeah. Because I think they were really trying to change, and they were really trying to, you know, they would then turn around and say, you know what, I was really angry about that person's lyrics. 20 years ago yeah now i see that none of his lyrics are that way in fact all of his new lyrics on the new album are mostly about his son <laughs> yeah. and how he's growing as a person becoming a father in uh a, you know a, 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 contributing positively to these very negative times that we live in mm -hmm. and i think that you should then want to be like wow he's doing this now but it doesn't work that way if, it, if it's about them then it's not a real issue. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think it speaks about what you said. They want to feel the outrage and they want to feel as though, well, I don't know why they would want to feel that way, but you know, a perfect example is I used to, I remember John McCain was running as a, as president. And I remember at the time, I mean, I really wanted Barack Obama to be elect, elected. So I definitely had a bias and I was always very angry about some of the things he said, but now in retrospect with all of the new politicians we have, he looks like he basically looks like a, a left-leaning Democrat, but now I feel like he's he's come a long way and he's been very outspoken about a lot of the injustices that are occurring on a daily basis. Whether he always votes for votes in favor or against them is a little bit of a trickier situation, I guess. But to go on meet the press and say, you know, um, I think that getting rid of the, you know, say, trying to drive hatred towards the media is the first step of a dictatorship. And I feel like saying something like that has made me see like, wow, he's really growing. He's, he's 
seeing things more clearly. And, and, and it's like I'm not holding him accountable to, you know, for owning seven homes when he ran for election, you know, yeah. like how angry I was about that. It's like you, you definitely just have to let people be and let them grow and support them when when they are doing positive things, you know. Yeah, there's no there's no point in calling somebody out if you're not going to call them out, then help them to change things. I, I think, and I think there's a lot of people who are, are quite happy to, to fire shit at people and let that shit stick. Yeah. But it it's doesn't really benefit anything. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely self-serving because it's, self-serving. it's like, <laughs> yeah. For sure. what can you do, you know? And even 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 when I wrote those lyrics, I was I was like a I was a baby, I was a child, and and I feel like even more so because I was, you know, a 21, 22, 23 year old trying to deal with this, um, you know, debilitating mental illness, which I felt like made me even younger than I was because I yeah. was so consumed with healing and so consumed with coping that I wasn't um, growing the way you do at 22 or 23, you know. We weren't yeah. moving forward. I was really stuck in another time. And it's not a judgment on that. It just, it is what it is. But I feel like I've demonstrated to the world that I'm not that person. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff that I could talk about. There's so much stuff. And I feel like we've covered like maybe a year of information that we could. But... <laughs> Like, you know, I feel like we haven't covered, I feel like we could make this like a 12 part thing. Like there's so much stuff <laughs> that I could cover with you. It's insane, but. Well, I could always come on if, if, if people are interested, I could come back if they're not yeah. interested. I'll, I'll hold you to that. I'll hold you to that because I think a part you two have me on tape. Four would always be good, but there's, there's a few things that I, I still wanted to cover with you, I suppose. Sure. One thing I was interested in, and I, again, I suppose it's from a personal perspective, but I suppose it, it is interesting. So I, I might be wrong with the details, but you were approached to do some writing. Your first book wasn't yep. something you planned on doing, right? No, I had never even considered it. <laughs> and it was it was just somebody liked your lyrics and asked you to, yeah. Uh, yeah. so I believe. Yeah. And you, yeah. you released it under Mr. Potty Mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, um, it was these two guys, I think they were from Brown University, and they were trying to start a lit press. And they were fans of the band. And they I think they were really attracted. I think they also saw something that I didn't see. I think they saw how outlandish a lot of it was. And I think they were trying to become involved in something that outlandish, you know, where I was just like, oh, wow, okay, you want to put these things out? That's really, that's cool, you know? So I didn't, I actually, when they asked me if I wanted to do it, I just kind of went and just spent months writing all the stuff. And then um, and then they, they put it out, and then, you know, a couple of years later, they ended up folding the press, and they didn't release many, very many things. Yeah. I think a lot of why I released it under that name is because it never really felt real while I was writing it and it, and it still doesn't feel very real when I look back and look at it, it doesn't feel like me at all. Um, and I think I just didn't want to own, own up to what I was writing. And I think that's why I had the pseudonym. And like, again, it was just an extension of my lyrics. It was just this time where I just wanted to, you know, breathe and throw up all of these disgusting things that were inside of me. 
And I think the book were, was even a step further than the lyrics. They were more extravagant. They were more offensive. They were more, you know, and it was part of what I was trying to do then. I, I almost wanted negative attention because of how I felt. Um, and I never, you know, I've never really felt that way since. And then so. obviously you, you, you moved on to I Offered Myself as a C and obviously yeah. the, the newer book, which is um a popular place to explode which i i actually prefer as much as my my favorite poem is i myself <laughs> to see. I think you know i think the best stuff you've done writing wise is your, your newest book but yeah i noticed the other day you had a heartworm tattoo so i thought okay that that means yeah. something somewhere i guess um yeah. and obviously they've released the majority of your publishing stuff yep yeah. um you changed from obviously Mr. Potty Mouth, and you kind name. of explained that. But how yep. did the if if that era of, of your life was kind of trying to get rid of stuff, yeah, and, and getting rid of and, and, and getting rid of the negativity, but also kind of inviting it. What what made you want to continue on doing it? Was it just enjoyment, and and how did it come around that you got published by Heartworm, and and, and what was the conversation surrounding that? Um. So. The, it was funny. I've always wanted to do what I do. I've always wanted to, you know, the impulse to create is always there. It's this. It's just the nature of what I'm creating changes. Yeah. So I mean, I'm 43 now, and we just released a record, and we already have three, two or three songs ready for the next record. Like all four of us are just, we love going to the room that we have, and writing music and putting it out, and it's not even about what people i mean obviously when they like it it feels better when they don't like it, it doesn't feel as good but it's so much more about just get, like creating it and releasing it the process of it and that's what we're really stuck on so the process of 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 this has always remained the same the reason that i i you know i changed the name it was um a lot of because i recognized that it was work that i i didn't want to own and i realized and I you know I went through a lot of stuff I a lot of arguments with people and a lot of people trying to kick us off shows ban us from festivals I actually had to I wrote a um like a disclaimer to add to the book at one point to try to explain you know the sort of violent um or you know sexually charged nature of it and stuff and you know but again I don't think people really wanted to hear it they just wanted to be angered by it which is fine. And then, but what happened was um, with Wes, I mean, I, Wes has always been an acquaintance of mine. Um, but I remember actually the moment when he asked me to, to, to write a book, I was, I was in Philadelphia. He was living in Philadelphia and I, I, I think Chinese stars had just played Philadelphia for the first time. And it was at this time that um, I was struggling with, with drinking and um, I was, Drinking very, very heavily. In fact, after Aaron Radar broke up, I felt like I grieved the loss of that band for, for many years. It's the only thing I'd ever known. And the impulse to play in a band was still there. That's why Chinese Stars came about. But it never quite felt the same way 
to me that, um, you know, regardless of the success, because Shining Stars had a lot of success, in some ways more successful than, than Arrow on Radar, but, um, and reached a different audience, but it just never felt quite the same. So anyway, we had just played Philadelphia, and every, I, I believe everyone went out, and I was just staying back and reading at the house because I was trying to not to drink. I was in programs to not drink, um, AA and, and stuff like that. And later that night, Wes came down and just said, you know, that he admired my lyrics and had, had really admired Pussy Powell. And, and regardless of how shocking the content was, he thought it was really brave. And he said, Do you, have you ever, have you written since then? And I said, you know, I, I really haven't because of the backlash of that. And he said, well, if you ever consider writing again, I would love to to, to put it out. I have a small press that I work with. And he showed me some of the releases. And I said, you know, I'll keep that in mind. And then um, I don't remember, like, from there, I don't quite remember how, but I remember just contacting him and said, you know, I'm, I, I've been writing again. It was like a year after or something. I said, I'd really like you to look at it. And maybe we could work on it. And at that, right at that time, I, had, I actually went into um, to a facility to stop drinking. And at the same time, I was also struggling with um, depression and anxiety. So I kind of went away for a few months to sort of, you know, try to recruit, regroup yeah. But I got out, I called Wes and told him I had some writing. I was trying to stay sober. I was on some medications to deal with a lot of the stuff I was going through. And I'll never forget this, and this is why I've always worked with, with him. He sent me a plane ticket um from to, to send me a plane ticket, flew me down to Philadelphia, and I remember just staying with him for weeks or two weeks at a time. And we just spent time together. And we worked on the work. Uh, on the book, worked, worked on stuff for the book, but then we also went out to dinner. We watched films. We just, you know, I think he just knew that I needed somebody outside of my, uh, you know, social social yeah. circle. And I think he just, for whatever reason, felt compelled to help me. And we ended up doing that over the course of a few months. He would send me a ticket. I would come down, and, and then we ended up finishing the book and releasing it. And he turned me on to a lot of poetry at the time, a lot of uh, filmmakers, just a lot of art. And I'll never forget that because I feel like at that time I really needed somebody like Wes to st- step in and do something like that for me. And he did that. And I will never, ever, ever, I would die for him. I would do anything for him because he came to me at a point where, you know, he, sa- he saved my life. He really did because I was struggling to, to get, to break the habit or break the cycle that I was stuck in. And then when he released the book and it, it did really well, it was a feeling I'd never had before. And it felt great. Um, and it was something that I achieved sober. It's something I put my name on. And I did it with a close friend and it felt really good. So I've just kind of never thought about releasing anything outside of him because I have the this this feeling. And one of the one of the people that he turned me on to was Richard Brodigan at that time. And we talked a lot about his work. And then shortly after, uh, my wife was going to get a tattoo with a tattoo parlor. And I went with her, just as you would, you know. And I ended up just putting a Brodigan poem on me. <laughs> because he, he just released that, a book by him yeah. also, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah Wes, is a, Wes is a big, big fan. And I ended up just sort of on a spur of the moment, put the poem on me. And then I think I got a couple more tattoos and the heartworm press logo was one of them. And because it means to me, 
it symbolizes to me that, you know, it was the first, it was a turning point. It was a real big turning point in my life. I had a friend step in, you know, at that time I proposed to my wife and let her know that I never wanted to be without her. And cause she was struggling with me drinking heavily as well. Yeah. And, uh, so it all kind of just came together in the hot worm press tattoo is a reminder of what he did and what the publisher did him as a friend, him as a publisher and, you know, and how I just kind of want to keep putting my books out with them. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, yeah. I hope you do because you know, <laughs> that that's where I met Lee. I found your work and, and work backwards and, and, yeah. and now we have what what feels like you know a, a, a really good friendship and i think yes, it's my friend <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's real testament to yourself i mean you know yeah. from a personal perspective like i knew there would be no issue asking you to come on and do this yeah um, yeah I, and there's I something mean, I, nice about that yeah i mean also because it's also nice too to just be able to sort of tell people things like this yeah. i I never get an opportunity to just tell people how much Wes means to me and how much, you know, him releasing my books means to me. So this is a good opportunity to say something like that. It's a good opportunity to talk about, you know, how much regret I have for some of my earlier lyrics and stuff. And, you know, and you don't, you don't sometimes get to do that as an artist, you know, you, you really don't. Sometimes I do interviews and I can, but what people are so inundated with stuff now that I feel like if I can, you know, somehow reach them in all of these ways, I'll do as much as I can to get, you know, my message out out there. So yeah, and I suppose just to sort of finish from our side, you know, if, yes. if there's anyone that is listening to this that maybe hasn't found your work musically or or or, or the poems or the books, and, and I'm sure there will be, but if you had to make, say, a recommendation of of one book one album that you've created what what would you choose um well my book would be a popular place to explode i just feel that uh i just feel like it's it's the beginning of where i've been working towards if that makes sense so i've been working for a long time um i started studying under a poet and i feel like this is the first step in where i'm starting to realize the potential that I have. So I'm thinking I might get there in another two or three books from now, <laughs> but this one feels most like the hard work that I put into my writing. Um, as far as the albums, I mean, quite honestly, the last album that I released feels really, really good. It does feel really good. I, it's, it's called a self-help tragedy in, we created the work when my wife was going through a very difficult pregnancy. Um, then my son was born. So I think the lyrics are, I don't know, they're very real because they speak directly to all of these situations that I was going through with her troubled pregnancy and everything. And I think that um, another reason I really like this record is um, – I've been playing with these guys for a really, really long time. And for some reason on this record, everyone had or seemed to sort of exercise a freedom that they had never exercised before. So in a lot of the records that we made, we would speak about them and talk about them and sort of put these like limits to it, but not limits in a bad way, but like 
we want to make this record kind of be like this. We want no effects or like no, you know, things that you just talk about musically or yeah, whatever. And we let all of these songs happen very naturally. We experimented with sounds and uh, effects pedals and all this crazy stuff that I will admit at certain points I was freaked out about. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are we going to sound like with all these crazy pedals, you know? But in the end, I just had a faith in those guys and a trust in those guys. And they had a trust in me. And it was the first time I had sang through effects pedals on a record. And I don't know, it was just, it was fun. The experimentation was fun. And I think in the end, it made it, it, it still sounds like us, but it has this extra frosting on it. Yeah, <laughs> that of course. It's really cool. But I do like that. And I do, I've always really liked um, the record Rough Day at the Orifice a lot. That was the second Arab on Radar record. And um, I don't know why, but I still, can listen to the, that record and enjoy it like I did the very first time. Yeah. So those are probably the two records that I feel most proud of. Awesome. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming yeah. on and being the first guest because now you're leaving me with a, a real fucking tough job to find someone as interesting and as fun to talk to. <laughs> um, I, I won't thank you for that, but um, I do appreciate you coming on so much and it was so interesting to hear every aspect um and i'm sure everyone would agree with me and if there's anyone who hasn't got onto your work yet if they're not listening to it by now at the end of this conversation something's something's wrong um <laughs> but i would like you to come back at some point i hope that you definitely sure. do yeah i had a great time and there you have it so that's the first edition of And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast complete. I really hope you enjoyed it. I thought Eric was absolutely phenomenally interesting to speak to. Um, if you've made it this long, I'm sure um, that you'd probably agree. Um, next week, I'm hoping to have some more guests on there. I don't really want to give away the surprise too much, but... Um, by that point, I'm also hoping to be on, you know, the the standard uh, websites, uh, the standard podcast places. You can download stuff. You can subscribe. Um, if you wanted to follow anything else that I do, of course, you've got the Burnt Church label, which this is under, which is just search on Facebook for Burnt Church Alternative Press. I also do my own um, spoken word stuff, which is, of course, the Eager Tongue, if you haven't heard it before. But it's totally fine, you know, if you don't want to follow either of those. But if you have enjoyed the podcast, of course, we've got a page. Just type the name in on there. And there's also a Twitter page. If there's anyone you'd like to hear speak on the podcast, if there's anyone that you know of that would like to be a guest that fits the uh, the premise of alternative artist, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in for the first time. Um, I really hope it was what you would expect. And I really hope it was something that you had a good, a good listen to. Um, and I really hope to see you again next week. Okay. Thanks. Over and out.